Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40k tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in America. My name is Tim. Thank you for joining me. I'd like to begin by thanking everyone who's listened to episode 1 and provided some feedback on how we did. In creating this episode and in subsequent episodes, I'll be trying to roll in some of that feedback I got from our listeners. It was nice to have people chiming in on our first episode to be able to get this uh, get this party started in the right way. So thanks again for everyone who listened to episode one and provided feedback. Here in episode two, in a few moments, I'll be joined by my friend Jason. He's a demons player. He'll be chiming in in the managing the meta section, where we'll be focusing on the demons. After that, in the orbital upload section, we'll be talking about playing your first tournament. The future history segment is all about noise marines, the weapons of the noise marines more specifically. So joining me for this episode is Jason, a longtime 40k player, one of the finest painters that I know. His focus on making his armies completely unique is really, really something to behold. You can see his work at headwoundminis.com. That's headwoundminis.com. It is worth seeing. Jason, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Tim. So let's get this show started. Hobby progress. What's the latest and greatest? Uh, I've been working on a Mahler Fiend for about uh, a year now. Whoa, a year? Yeah, it's been staring at me. <laughs> Literally staring at me because I sculpted a giant eyeball on the front of it. So, so you built it and then just let it sit? Yes, because it's, there's, so many, there's so much armor trim and fiddly bits. And, you know, I just want to paint big swaths of corrupted flesh. So like, you don't have the patience <laughs> to get in there, but it's time. And uh, not to mention that I need a little boost on the tabletop, and that's a great unit. So, How did you mod it? You said you put a big eyeball on the front. Yeah, so I removed the, the robot dinosaur head, which as great as a robot dinosaur is, not really my vision of chaos. Uh, and then I sculpted this, well, I took like a, a D&D miniature's beholder mouth. Hmm. So he's got like a, he's basically just where the head is, there's a gaping hole. I filled it with some teeth. And then... Inside his mouth, there's an eyeball that I sculpted out of putty. It's really gross. Inside the mouth? Yes. Nice. So if you were to open your mouth and there would be an eyeball instead of your tongue, that's <laughs> what we're looking at here. But the rest of the Mahler Fiend body is intact. For the you most pretty part. Much left that one alone. Yeah, for yeah. the most part. Cool. I did make a couple of minor adjustments. But uh, no, it's been fun. It was it, This model has been a challenge. I did realistic water effects on the base, which I have never done before. Whoa. Sculpted the eye, which was a reach for me. Then I was going to leave the eye, sort of like a gross, cloudy cataract thing. And then one day I was sitting on the couch and I was looking at it and I just thought, I'm going to paint this eyeball. So I did freehand, which I've also never done. This has been my benchmark project. Awesome. So awesome. I'm looking forward to getting it done because I've been talking a lot of trash about it. It's so. <laughs> <laughs> great. How did you do the uh, water effects on the base? Um, it's real simple. Just uh, Secret Weapon Minis has a water effects. So you mix it in with some ink. Um, so in the, I took the base, um, I punch cut out a couple holes in it, and then slapped some plastic card over the bottom to create some puddles, gotcha. some indentations. And then you just put some sand in the bottom, fill it with grit, and then once that's dry, you just throw it in the sludge, and it looks great. Huh. So it's like some kind of epoxy that dries like to a hard, kind of clear. Yeah, it's just a clear deal. Just yeah. a clear resin. There's a lot of actually you can get it at uh, not secret weapon minis, but you can get a version of it at you know any craft store it's, mm-hmm. it's real mm-hmm. accessible I, I have a crystal making kit that i got from uh dick blick or ac moore one of those and it's just mm-hmm. it's basically just two huge it's a it's a hardener and a what's the other part of a resin uh it's basically just a two-part resin mix right. and it takes forever to dry but, mm-hmm. I, but i tried doing like a 
like painting it on top of things that should look like gems just okay. to make them shine and make them hard. But to actually put divots into the base of models is a good idea and then fill it like it's water. I like that. Yeah, you just want to create that that three-dimensional element. So there's Because the water is going to be clear to an extent. I mean, I filled mine with orange, so it's like pollution goop. Mm. But, um, so you just want to create a space for it to go down into. But, cool. Yeah, and I've done it uh, uh, on my demon friend's base. He's standing in like a big puddle of muck also. And it's mm. just like super fun to do. Mm, that's great. The other thing to keep in mind, though, with that is you want to... Uh, seal it first because that's gloss obviously so you don't want to be spraying over that that's, ah, right. that's the very last step gotcha 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 yeah um last time we spoke you were working on a pretty heavily modified chaos knight oh yes did you continue with that or you put that one aside for the time being that is another one of my perpetual projects because that that was another one that i took a lot of chances on and it's paid off but i'm going very slowly mm-hmm. um but that's about 95 percent of the way done i just have to sculpt some more Spore chimneys and other gross parts on the back. Um, and that'll be ready for painting, and that's going to be a whole other endeavor. So let's talk about this next year. Nice, we'll do. <laughs> that's good. Um, for me, I've been continuing to piece together these iron hands. I should have just started with a CAD mm-hmm. and just finished them all. Mm-hmm. But instead, I have like almost 2,000 points that I'm going to try to assembly line paint <laughs> for some reason. Oh, that is a recipe for fatigue. <laughs> it's really, <laughs> it's been a long time coming. I think I should just probably just finish a bit for a CAD. I have purchased a second Vindicator for my armored task force. So that's two Vindicators of the Laz Pred and a Tech Marine with Thunderfire Cannon. That's my armored task force. I'll be able to wrap up that little piece of the Fist of Medusa Strike Force. And I've been painting I've been painting a bunch of infinity models, but I won't talk about that here. But that's been taking up a good chunk of time. Painting small is uh, painting small is, is a challenge. Painting small is taking up more time than the size of the models would indicate. Cool. We'll take a short break. We'll be back. Welcome to Managing the Meta, Demons. Demons are entities of the warp. Horrific creatures brought to the battlefield by the whims of sorcerers. Those beings, those warp entities that come through a tear in the galaxy... There's like a slash above the gaming table, and all of a sudden, these beings from beyond spill out. Is that, a, is that an apt way to put how they, how they arrive? It is, and that's actually how I deploy also. I just carry everything around in a box, and I just dump it before the <laughs> It's a quick deploy. Yeah, it's real quick. <laughs> Why demons? I've been playing this game for a long time, and I wanted to play Space Marines forever. I've had so many different Space Marine armies that got halfway done and halfway built, and then one one year we went to Adepticon, and there's a uh, the popular tournament at Adepticon is a four p- person tournament. So uh, my buddy Colin suggested, okay, let's do chaos. And I thought, what? No, that's heresy. I'll never do chaos. I'll never do chaos. <laughs> Heretic. Yeah. <laughs> at this point, I was I was working on my Deathwing army, which is still near and dear to my heart, but it's not it's not there. It's not where I wanted it to be. And I thought, uh, well, you know, whatever, I'll take a break. You know, I've been banging my head against the wall of space Marines for 15 years now. So yeah, paint some weird monsters. It turns out I really like weird monsters. It, it's cool. You always read in white dwarf, you know, throughout the, throughout the nineties and early two thousands. Oh, chaos. There's so many conversion possibilities. And I always thought that's stupid. You're sticking a spike on something. It's not really a conversion, <laughs> but it turns out, no, it's actually true. There is a lot of conversion. Uh, and uh, I have a, a really strong interest in, in Renaissance art, so 
Temptation of St. Anthony and all the weird, creepy creatures in there and Bosch and uh, I can make weird stuff. And then I started painting and it just took off. And it just, you know, things that I had been, uh, I've been waiting for years and years and years to happen. Finally, I got real excited about painting and it just, uh, and also the way I played. They're a lot of fun. Isn't it great when that happens? And I think this hobby creates those moments where you find yourself working on something new and all of a sudden it's a combination of building of painting and fluff that all of a sudden like really resonates with you and all of a sudden like this light goes on you know you have this kind of aha moment yeah that's definitely what happened to me with this army so the the demons are the the spawn of one of the chaos gods correct and there are four slash five chaos gods (laughs) depending upon who you ask yeah for copyright reasons i don't know if we're allowed to mention So we'll, we'll stick with the top four. Um, your your chaos god of choice is who? Uh, it's Nurgle. Why is yes, that? Yes, my heart is, is donated to Nurgle. Mm. First of all, I love all the gross stuff with my style of conversions. If I can, you know, I may not win the game, but if someone walking by the table stops and goes, oh, that's gross, I've done my job. I'll call that a good day. <laughs> You've won. I'll call that a <laughs> Victory <laughs> points for comments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know. I just, and also I love... Uh, I love what Nurgle symbolizes. It's like, you know, he knows like, the world is falling apart and everything is entropy. And he's just laughing about it, which I think is, it's, it speaks to me. We can talk about that later. But. <laughs> <laughs> Papa Nurgle, yeah. yeah. He is always kind of jovial in all mm-hmm. the art, right? Yeah. right? Everything that, yeah. that Nurgle gives up is kind of a gift, right? Right. So his, his plagues and his pestilence and the flies and the bugs and the, all that evil, he considers a really great thing, as do all of his followers. Mm-hmm. Did that did that part of it attract you to it as well? The fact that he kind of spreads joy. Well, it's 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 not that it's a pure joy. It's that it's a sort of uh, really black humor, really sarcastic. He, I don't think Nurgle is particularly kinder than any of the other Chaos Gods, but the fact that he's basically just he's just laughing about how terrible everything is that for some reason appeals to me. Um, we also have Corn. Mm-hmm. Corn's real strong right now. We got a, a lot of Corn attention in the last uh, year, especially ever since uh, Age of Sigmar came out. Right, 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 because the, the chaos gods are in both systems. Right. Yeah. So what do you know about Korn? He's, he's born of rage and hate. He's like the god of war. Yeah, the god of battle. That's correct. So the, the greatest thing that a Korn follower can do is collect a skull for, uh, for the skull throne, which is this giant brass throne that Korn sits upon in his glory. And he doesn't, Korn does not care about his followers. Unlike Nurgle, Korn doesn't care where the blood comes from. It can be their own blood. Right. Right. It does not matter. Slanesh. Slanesh uh, got a lot more attention back in the uh, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, back when the game was a little more underground, back, you know, the game's punk roots. And, like, now that it's kind of blowing up mainstream, we don't see it as much because Slanesh is the god of excess. And, unfortunately, this has often been narrow-mindedly interpreted as just physical excess. Mm. But, um, I mean, it's not just, you know, naked demons. He is also the god of pride, mm. uh, the god of gluttony, greed, all those sorts of things. Mm. And Zinch, the god of change. The architect of fate. Zinch has got a lot of love recently. Yeah, yeah. which is great. I love Zinch also. Um, unfortunately, uh, for me, blue is not my color. So, What do you mean by that? To paint? Or you, you do have a blue shirt on today? I right? do have a blue shirt on. I know it makes bad radio to talk about colors <laughs> on the air, but... <laughs> Um, it just doesn't appeal to me visually. It doesn't have a lot of fun painting blue. I think it's too clean looking. Mm. Um, I may be biased as a Nurgle, primarily a Nurgle player, um, but I don't like painting clean too much. He's got a lot of bright colors, which is not my style, mm. but mm. 
Zinch is, is great. Especially the the Fate Weaver. I love the two-headed vulture. That's awesome character. I did a little bit of research on, on Fate Weaver today. So let's start at the top of the hierarchy. Underneath these gods, we'll start with Nurgle, since that's uh, the theme of your army, right? We have demon princes. Yes. They're like the the premark, if you will, of a chaos god's army. Uh, there are different levels of demon princes we have to assume this hasn't been fleshed out in great detail to my knowledge but um we have to assume for example the first demon prince ever bellicor we don't know what god he's associated with which is very interesting so all demons in the current incarnation have a demon of rule demon of corn demon of slanesh etc etc right uh, bellicor does not have that so he was he was the first demon prince, and uh, in general, a demon prince is not originally a warp entity. It's a human mortal who has been elevated to demonhood, as distinct from a greater demon. So you're so you're such a badass in battle, and you have such a chaotic mindset that you are you're made immortal. Like you you pay the you pay your the soul price right to become this this figure greater than a human. Right, the gods have noticed you, and. Instead of turning you into a spawn, which they just as easily might do, they've decided to elevate you because they're, all the cash gods are capricious. So your demon prince in your Nurgle army is what? So all demon princes have the same stat line, um, except for you'll get the demon of, which will give you different rules. Uh, but he's strength six. Uh, so the great thing about demon prince is uh, weapon skill nine, which is more helpful than you might think. Mm. Uh, because a lot of times you're giving that that double weapon skill plus one for a wide variety of things. So they're hitting you on fives, which is very helpful because the Demon Prince is not as tough as you might think. That's because uh, of the toughness five that they have. Right. So I have had many games where top of turn one, hit with a strength 10, fail that five up Demon save, you're toast. Demon Prince can be very fast, can be very killy, but uh, they're also pretty fragile. Hmm. How many points? Uh, my loadout standard, so the standard points without spending anything is, uh, I believe 145 and then you're required to give them a mark. So I think the cheapest mark or not marks, but demon type, uh, I think the cheapest naked demon prince you can get is like 160. Um, and at that, that point he's good, but he's on the ground. He doesn't have any psychic powers. He doesn't have any gifts. Right. Um, so by the time you kit out a demon prince, it's going to be about a land raider, about 250 points. How many wounds? Uh, four wounds. Um, so you give you give them a mark of, which gives them buffs. Right. But rewind to Bellicor. You can't give Bellicor a mark of. No, Bellicor is a special character. He's already got. He doesn't need any help. He's got. Uh, he's got a four up invuln. He's got shrouded. Yeah, he's good on his own. So some of the stuff that would be some of the buffs that are included in the marks, he already has. They're not marks. Marks are for the, uh, the mortal chaos worshippers, the chaos space marines. But this is the demon of type. Bellicor has, has a ton of stuff already. He, you can't give him anything because he's a special character, so he is fixed, but he does not need any help. He's a great. He's expensive, but he's a great buy. How many points is Bellicor? Oh, he is, uh, I think he's pushing 300. Wow, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, he's got uh, guaranteed invisibility, so it's worth it. And you have to take a Demon Prince to get a cat going in a Demon Army. Yeah, he's, gonna be, he's always going to be your HQ choice or no? No. Um, you can take a Greater Demon as an HQ choice. You can take a Herald uh, if you wanted to. They're uh, not quite as killy, but um, if you're trying to just play a real small game. or um, And there's also a number of special characters. Uh, every demon, every god right now has a couple of special characters, which are supposed to be special character heralds. So, for example, Korn has Skulltaker. Zinch has the Changeling, etc., etc. 
a herald is not a human that's been elevated to that position. Right. A herald has always, they're just a, a straight up warp entity. They've always been that way and they always will because as, uh, as changing as chaos is, it's also eternal. And heralds are lesser demons that have been elevated by the chaos gods. Yes, they are the lieutenants of the chaos world. So right below demon princes in that hierarchy, greater demons are next down. Mm, you know, that's never actually been real clear to me whether a greater demon or a demon prince is higher up in the hierarchy. Hmm. Um, the stats for greater demons are a little better. So if we're going by stats, uh, and also, you know, personally, I would have to think that a straight-up warp entity is always going to be more respected than a mere mortal who's elevated. But I'm, I'm not sure. So it might be more accurate to say that demon princes and greater demons are kind of at the same level in terms of strength and power in a chaos army. I, I imagine them, from a fluff point of view, being in conflict with each other and always trying to sort of jockey for position. Hmm. Some infighting there, maybe. Oh, for sure. I mean, chaos is all about infighting. Mm -hmm. um, so beneath those two, if they're the two pillars of kind of strength mm -hmm. underneath the chaos god, who you don't see on the table, thank goodness, um, <laughs> you have lesser demons, which are the foot soldiers of chaos, right? Yep. Um, and the fact that they are kind of anthropomorphic and weird, especially on the Nurgle side, are what drew you to that style of army in the first place. Oh, yeah, I love them. I, I wish that uh, the plague bears were better on the table because I have very little reason to take them, but I love the models. And those are the plague bearers, just for people you know who aren't aware, are the sort of the the foot soldiers of the Nurgle army. I, I, in my research today, I read that um, the lesser demons are the ones that answer the call of heretics. So it's the lesser demons that you hear in your sleep when you're thinking bad thoughts. Those are the ones that'll reach out and kind of give you that that warp taint in the middle of the night, right? Yeah, and and also in the forty k lore as well. <laughs> um, so beneath all them, you have we have beasts and steeds. Mm. You use the ones, um, the little stingray ones. Uh. Oh, screamers. Yeah, I do have a small uh, zinch contingent, and uh, the screamers are great. So, so they would be at a level below those lesser demons. Yeah, they're sort of mindless. They're just animals. They're like, uh, so warp travel is always uh, likened to sea travel. Screamers would be the, the lampreys following in the wake of ships, hoping sailors will fall off. And what's the stat line on those, on those screamers? Oh, they're great. They're uh, basically a space marine with two wounds and they're jet bikes. So fours across the board for the most part, which is above average. Um, and they have a lot of utility because they're pretty cheap. They're 25 points a pop. They're very mobile. Uh, they're actually a little more survivable than you might think because they're demons of Zinch. So they get to reroll ones on their invuln save so they've only got a five up invuln save but they're rerolling ones which has saved me a number of times and then you've got some choices with them because uh as i said they're mobile so that you can be anywhere they need to be on the board and they've got three attacks each so they can either throw out a bunch of attacks at strength four which is not great but mm -hmm. can do you know shift some some lesser troops is it five of them in a unit i believe it's three in a unit three, okay. and you can add an additional six or, or something like that hmm. the great thing about the screamers is that they can trade all of their attacks for one strength five ap2 armor bane attack which is great for tank hunting hmm. and they get to do attacks in the shooting phase if they turbo boost over a unit that unit takes hits they can do damage on the way to getting them where you need to be they're they're a lot of fun how do they move again you said they were they were super mobile like a like a bike yeah they're jet bikes so they move 12 and then they can turbo boost an additional I think it's 24 wow. in the shooting phase. So, yeah, they be, can get places on the board, which, mm. uh, as a primarily Nurgle player, which is a very slow army, that's useful to me. Which is why they're in your list. Uh, they're in my list. Uh, I built them as a special f project for a game that a friend and I were doing, and we needed a bunch of 
screamers just for for theme and then i thought oh these are these are kind of cool one thing we haven't touched on which is very crucial to the chaos lore is the the very complex infighting between the chaos gods and zinch and nurgle particularly hate each other so i will sometimes get dirty looks for fielding zinch and nurgle units in the same army but uh that's the breaks can you share with us a little bit of that backstory? Why are they at such odds, those uh, Chaos Brothers? Um, well, so the, the Chaos Gods basically uh, represent human emotions. They're born from human emotions. It's uh, uh, If humanity was good, they would be angels. But they're not. They're a reflection of humans. So uh, Zinch is basically unchecked growth, and Nurgle is a slow descent. So they're sort of diametrically opposed to each other. Hmm. So, so while Zinch is building up, Nurgle is breaking down. That's always been my interpretation. Hmm. So below those screamers, what's next down in that hierarchy? Or is that as low as we can go and we're talking about just a purely demon force? Uh, well, so there's a number of different types of beasts. The, the screamers are the Zinch beasts. The, the other gods have beasts as well. Uh, Nurgle has a great... Uh, actually, has two different types of beasts. Uh, one of the plague drones, which are these giant nasty flies, and the other are uh, plague beasts, which are described as being uh, like puppies, and they're actually the same creature. It's one is the life cycle of the other. Basically what happens is the plague beast is born, it just loves life, it wants to hug people, so it runs forward on the battlefield, and it's just trying to cuddle with your, your tower or whatever. Um, and, <laughs> and what do they look like when they're born? What's the first thing that we see when they're in that uh, early childhood stage? They're just uh, a sort of a, a blob of mucus with tentacles coming out of mm. them. Um, that's the official model. It just wants to give you a hug. Yeah, a lot yeah. of them are snails. I use the, uh, the toads from Forge World because they're great models. Big happy toads with big toothy grins. So <laughs> they're running forward on the battlefield and they're not trying to kill you. They're not screaming with hatred. They just, they just want to love you. Right. And if, unfortunately, if they love you, it means that they've pulped you to death. Um, but <laughs> it's it, a tough love, but it's still sure. a love. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're just sort of over-enthusiastic puppies. But if you kill them, they're banished to the warp. And in the warp, they have time to think about what's happened to them. Oh. And they grow a cocoon around them and their hatred grows with them. And they emerge as a plague drone, which is a creature of, it's completely the opposite. It's pure spite. Vindictive, disgusting little creatures. And they buzz around the battlefield, and they're awesome. Plague drones are the flies. Yes. There are some smaller creatures below. For example, Nurgle has Nurglings, which are tiny little Muppet-looking dudes. The Silver Tower game has introduced a new type of tiny demon for Zinch, also called the Brimstone Horrors. Right. Currently, no little imps for corn uh, or slanesh yet so uh beasts uh they're they're great and they're a lot of fun uh they have a really fun role where due to their enthusiasm they can actually charge in your opponent's assault phase oh. which is great um but in general they don't have a ton of utility so i don't field them very often i built uh i built six of them again, for a very specific event where they were good for that event right. due to the composition. So, And I love them. I feel them because I just like looking at their little stupid little faces. But uh, for the most part, the Plague Drones are sort of my workhorse unit. I feel them all the time. Troop choice in your army. What is it? Uh, my my troop choice, so there are Plague Bearers, which is the standard Nurgle troop's choice, but uh, my troop choice of choice are the Nurglings. They're fantastic. Those are the little stacked up, little round yep. dudes. Yep, yeah, that's right. So in addition to just being fun, uh, I just love all their, their little goofy antics. Uh, they're super cheap. They can, de- as, as all demons can, they can deep strike. 
they're really great for last turn objective grabs, and they're only 45 points for a, for a troop unit of three. So I can make that risky drop, and if I lose them, oh well. And how many wounds are in them? They're four wounds. They're basically the stats of uh, four guardsmen on a base. Gotcha. And they're units of how many? Uh, three standard, and it's 15 points a stand. Gotcha. So it's a 45-point unit. Right. Well, that's great. That's good. That's not yeah. overcosted at all. No, they're they're fantastic. They're mm. I mean, they're never going to do anything, but uh, they're great for objective grabbers. They'll right. win games. They can score points and just soak up wounds and just sit there. Yeah. A tip for Nurglings is uh, they're great for throwing out defensive grenades. So all demons of Nurgle have defensive grenades, which the uh, the effect of a defensive grenade is if you're charged, you don't get bonus attacks. Okay, that's that's good. Um, no unit in the game is going to need its bonus attacks to kill Nurglings. Nurglings are going to die to everything. But the other effect of a defensive grenade is you can throw it. It's a small blast. It's only strength one, but it forces your opponent to take an initiative test. And if they fail, they're blinded. Uh, I guess they're just throwing gobs of mucus at people, which is pretty gross. It does get in the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is really great against shooting low initiative armies uh, like Tau, for example. Right. That will ruin a Tau's day. And then last until the start of the next turn. Yes, I do it on my turn, and it lasts until the beginning of my next turn. You have Chaos Space Marines in some of your lists, yeah? So the thing I love about Chaos is it's just a big party. Everyone's welcome. There's It's just a big, raucous horde. It's not just demons. It's cultists. It's thousand-year-old warriors. It's weird mutants. It's everyone. So, Jason, start start at the top and walk us through like what you would consider your, your take-all-comers list. My take-all-comers demon list always, always, always has a flying demon prince. A, because I fell in love with the model that I built, uh, but B, uh, it's it's high utility. He's super fast. Demon Prince of Nurgle has Shrouded, giving him a plus two to his cover save, but as a flyer, I can always drink. So I always have a two-up cover save, even if I'm not in the air. That's the thing a lot of people don't realize. That still applies even if you're gliding. So... Unless something can ignore cover, he's probably going to get where he needs to be. Do you tend to play him super aggressively? Yeah, you have to. Yeah. Um, it's it's a risk. I don't think he's ever survived to the end of a game. Right. Maybe once out of 50 games. So, yeah, you're basically giving up Slay the Warlord every time. But uh, it's worth it. It's but he, totally he's going to get it. out there and kill some stuff. Yeah, for yeah. the most part. Sometimes you whiff. Sometimes even his eight, nine attacks on the charge uh, doesn't get you there. He's great with Biomancy. So Iron Arm, Warp Speed, that sort of thing, because the weakness of is the relatively low toughness for such a big creature. Toughness 5 is not that great for, right. for what it is. So you want to boost that toughness, and you definitely want to get above the instant death threshold. What's his invul save? 5 up, all demons, standard 5 up, invul save. The thing that I, I would recommend for anyone wanting to play any sort of demon prince, always take two greater rewards. There's basically three levels of rewards showing the favor from their god. There's lesser rewards, there's greater rewards, and then there's exalted rewards. The exalted rewards are the artifacts. The cool thing about the exalted rewards is it's basically the war gear for demons, but unlike a normal army, so if I'm playing a space marine army, I pick a war gear type at creation, but my exalted reward I can choose at the start of the game. Hmm. So I can sort of tailor to my opponent, which is great. So it's super situational, yeah, like what you pick. For right? sure. I would recommend passing that by because you're only allowed to have 50 points and those are 30 points so i pass that by take two greater rewards so unfortunately as with everything in the demon army it's a lot of random rolling so you don't know what you're paying for but most of the time 
it really pays off because the greater rewards tend to be defensive. Things like three up armor save, it will not die, extra wounds, feel no pain, things like that. And that's what you need because you have just spent 250 points on a very fragile unit. So they're almost slots that you can fill, but you don't know what you're going to be filling it with until the start of the game when you start rolling for that stuff. Right. So you're picking warlord traits, then you're picking your rewards right at the get-go. Right. And just to reiterate, you're not picking them. You're rolling them. You're so rolling it's whatever them, right. the dice wants to give you. I've definitely had games where it's super useless, and I just spent 40 points on something that's not helping me. Is it a 2d6 chart? Uh, no, it's a d6 chart. What are some of those options? What are 1 through 6? So the other, the other great thing about the rewards that mitigates the randomness a little bit is you you can always choose to take a zero on the chart instead, which is a magic weapon. And there's different magic weapons for each of the gods. So that's great. So if you rolled something that you don't like, all right, I'm swap it out for the magic weapon instead. Gotcha. So you can always opt out. Right. And for the most part, you don't want to do that if you don't have to, because they're, they're already monstrous creatures. They're already an AP2. They don't really need that much help in the combat department. Let's see. Some greater rewards are uh, plus one wound and it will not die. A four-up feel no pain, which is amazing. Mm. Rerolling failed and vulnerable saves. Uh, Three-up armor save. Armor bane, flesh bane. That's really where the, the strength is. Right. So demon princes across the board have the same number of slots, let's call them for this, the sake of argument now. Right. So so you can take two greater rewards regardless of who which god you're aligned with. Is that right? Right. Everyone's allowed 50 points worth of uh, demonic rewards. Lesser are worth 10 uh, greater are worth 20 and then exalted are worth 30. So I would just say, take the two greater call it a day. So what's next? You have the demon prince at the top. What else do you have? Then I take some nerglings. Always got to have those nerglings. Uh, you, like I said earlier, that's what you're running around killing stuff. Just being a demon, the nerglings are trying to remember to actually win the game. So they're jumping on those objectives. But you also need some fun units. So I really like a big unit of Plague Drones, which are the, the guys riding the flies. They have a lot of utility as well. They've got three wounds each, uh, and their toughness, five. So they're pretty survivable. Demons are not uh, generally as survivable as you might think, because most of them have no armor. So they've got that five-up invuln, which can help you in a clutch sometimes. But for the most part, you're not saving a lot of wounds. But the flies are great. Their swords have a rule called Touch of Corruption, which allows them to glance vehicles more easily. And they're already throwing out a ton of hits anyway. So... How does that work in the mechanic? How does uh, it work? On a six, they glance hmm. no matter what. You know, they're only strength four. So if they didn't have that, they're glancing strength 10 on a six. But with that rule, they can glance a land raider or gotcha. anything. Anything on a six, on a six yeah. right? Cool. Yeah. And is that filling an elite slot or a fast attack slot? Those guys are fast attack, I believe. Okay. trick with them that a lot of people have not considered is take a herald with them. Because the herald can get this thing called... So that's a... Demons are so many different upgrades or so many different terms. This is distinct from a demonic reward. They can also get something called a demonic loci, which is a sort of a... Basically, they're acting as a, as a focus for the warp power, and they're buffing units around them. And this is unique to the Herald? Yes. Herald-specific? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So take a Herald with the Locus of Fecundity, which gives everything a feel-no-pain, and stick it in the Plague Drone unit. Because it's a bubble. It's not a bubble, but it uh, affects all models in the unit. Oh, in the unit, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people wouldn't do this because it really slows the Plague Drones down. So the Plague Drones move like... The Plague Drones are a, a weird unit. They're jetpack cavalry. 
which I think is the Whoa. only thing in the game that does that. Whoa. Yeah, they're so, it's, a, it's a wacky book. Um, they're very fast for a Nurgle unit. Um, so when you put that Herald in there, he's only moving six inches a turn, so he really slows them down. But if you put him right up against the front of your deployment zone, so as far forward as you can, and then you sort of let him trail behind, yeah, yeah, he will slow them down a little bit, but uh, he's going to help them get where they need to be because adding that feel no pain under that unit is huge. So you have a Herald with the drones. What right. else? Right. I mean, honestly, by this point, I've spent some more. I've spent all of my points on Demon Princess, so <laughs> uh, often, often not much else. I really like to take cultists as an allied detachment, and just you know, you have to take that Chaos Lord uh, as the HQ. But I just filled up with cultists because that's to me, it's not. Uh, it's not particularly competitive uh, you've already got a bunch of cheap objective holders so this is this is not anything that i would recommend to anyone listening necessarily but to me like that it just feels right you've got this this horde of madmen and they just believe so much that all these monsters have appeared and it's just like just too much john blanchard for me i guess <laughs> so bringing the cultists is more of a is good because there's a heavier weight of models on the board there's more models on the board coming at your opponent right so you're going for like the psychological effect there no, I just I just like having a bunch of uh, it. Just for me, it's just a fluff thing. Gotcha. I wouldn't recommend doing it. Uh, the, if you are, you've already got your nurglings, they're they're cheap. Uh, you want to focus on. So part of what I find with demons is a lot of times you lose momentum. At least the way I play. I mean, demons are a very competitive book. They're very strong. Um, I don't happen to play the build that is very strong, so my experience is not the same as many people's experience with demons. But um, for a for a casual demon player, someone who's not trying to build the you know, the, the ITC list or whatever, I find that I run out of killing power pretty quickly. So I need to focus on, I, I uh, have a psychological tendency to just take like, oh, just take a bunch of weak guys because it'll be funny. But um, don't, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need, and, and so things like playgrounds, you know, they don't put out as much damage as you might hope. Um, even the Demon Prince has whiffed on me many, many times. What do you feel best about seeing across the table? What does your inner nurgling smile at? You know, uh, counterintuitively, uh, I love I love seeing Tau because they have a low initiative, and I'm going to blind the heck out of those guys. And they're shooting in it, so if they're blinded, they're useless. I'm just going to drop nurglings in and throw blind grenades on them and call it a day. Hmm. I actually, uh, this weekend, played a game against Tau, and it went pretty well from my side so yeah i like to see that did their weakness in close combat come into play when you played him over the weekend oh yeah, yeah. i mean a demon prince in you know once he gets into combat that's that's the end of the day it's over but that can actually hurt you too because uh demon prince is very vulnerable to shooting so he charges in he kills all the dudes then he's just kind of hanging out in the breeze and that's a problem but i should put an asterisk to saying i like to see tau because tau ignore all the cover in the world and all I have is a cover save. That's what I rely on. So it can be dicey. Right, uh, right. But I don't mind seeing them. Anything that's not thrown out a bunch of strength 10 attacks or instant death attacks, I don't want to see that. Right, because of the toughness on the Demon Prince. Yep. Or, or basically on everything. Right. All my wounds are big, fat, multi-wound models. High toughness, but low save. So, for example, the, the Grey Knights, uh, I think instant death versus demons, oh, that's not fun right. for me. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, it makes sense. But. Yeah, sure. It's very fluffy. Yeah. <laughs> Defensively, what do you hate seeing across the table? Great Knights are going to be the worst thing to see across the table then. Uh, yeah, that's that's real bad. Um, again, again, anything that ignores cover is real bad for me. Anything that's super mobile because it can play keep away. And even though I tend to take uh, a lot of faster Nurgle units, that uh, still can really be a problem. A weakness of the demon army is shooting. They don't have a lot of great shooting attacks outside of psychic powers. 
The Soul Grinder, I think I'm definitely not utilizing nearly enough just because I haven't thought of a cool model yet, and I just can't bring myself to put together a stock model. But right. uh, <laughs> It's not your style. <laughs> no, it's just not how I do things. Um, also, I think that model is kind of goofy looking, but it's kind of cool in a, in a classic Doom kind of way. It does have that very kind of biotech, yeah. evil kind of look to it. Talk about how you ally in Chaos Space Marines when you do. Oh, so this has been the next iteration of my army for the first couple of years that I played Demons. Um, which I think was starting in 2013, so it's been a couple of years now. It was just straight demons, and then I started building some chaos dude, some space marines, um, mostly just because I had an idea for some cool plague marine conversions. And then I thought, oh, like I, you know, this is good. I need, I need more of this. The the other great thing is the demon prince also makes an appearance in the chaos space marine book. So I have a demon prince model. He can be either a demonic demon prince or a chaos space marine demon prince, and. Uh, one of the strengths of that is the Chaos Space Marine Demon Prince does not have the demonic instability rule, mm. which is a rule that plagues demons. Demons in general are immune to any leadership psychology. They're not going to fall back. But if they lose in close combat, they're going to take extra wounds for every point that they lost by. Oh. And there's also a chance, so if I roll, I believe it's double ones, the whole unit is wiped. So I could theoretically lose combat by one, and the whole unit just vanishes back into the warp. Mm. Conversely, if I roll boxcars, every wound that I've lost during that combat phase is replenished. But that has never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> no 12, huh? I know, it's, I know it's out there, but that has never happened to me. So the great thing about you know taking this Demon Prince as a Chaos Space Marine Demon Prince is he does not have that. So Because that, that rule really can bite you. That's mm. something to watch out. So that's the other thing about Demons to keep in mind. Uh, you don't really want to be... Uh, you want to be in assault, but you don't want to be launching assaults so that you're not pretty sure you can win. Because if you get bogged down, you're not going to stick it out. The more times you have to take that demonic instability test, chances are it's going to turn out bad for you. Right. It's very punishing. And even your even your, your killy guys, your big, you know, your scrappers, like they're they're not suited for protracted combats because they, for the most part, got a five up save and that's it. Right. But getting back to the Chaos Space Marines, mm -hmm. what, what kind of force do you ally in with your demons? I love Blight Drones, which is a Forge World unit. Um, that is another thing that appears in both the Chaos Space Marine and the Demon Book. Uh, they're flyers with a battle cannon on them, essentially. They're great for doing bombing runs. And uh, That's the weird, like, double walnut shell looking thing. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, with the turbines. <laughs> and a the, great looking model. Oh, yeah, yeah. no. That, 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 those models are one of the few models that, that I personally will field stock and be right. happy to do it because I, I love them they're yeah, so much fun they're really I, cool i've painted up two and i would be happy to paint up two more but they just uh, i want to spend 600 points on them they're great they're sort of carpet bombers they help a lot with the demon's lack of shooting what's the shooting attack on them they have a twin linked reaper auto cannon at ballistic skill two so you're hitting on five so for the most part they're not hitting anything with that that's just there for fun i guess the main thing is you can fire their main cannon you can fire either in vomit mode or phlegm mode which is a <laughs> lot of fun um so one of them is a strength 6 ap4 flamer which is really great but the main one is a strength 8 ap3 large blast it's essentially a battle cannon you've got a flying lehman russ and it's puking on things and you can choose between vomit and phlegm at yes. the beginning of the shooting phase yep yep i can choose which one i want to fire no roll you just call it and, and roll for it right yeah so they've got a lot of utility i like things that uh that you can choose to react to the situation. And the other, so the other great thing about the blade drones is they are flyers, but they can go into hover mode. So if you've overshot your target and you're on that trajectory and you thought, wait, no, come back. All right, they're going to land. Okay, when they land, they're probably going to die, but they're going to get a shot off first. They can steal objectives at the end of the game doing that. They can grab blind breaker. I've done that numerous times. 
Um, so they're they're really cool for that. In general, when I ally Chaos and Space Marines and Chaos Demons, the Chaos Space Marines are more of a defensive element, and the demons sort of just run forward and try and eat things. So the Chaos Space Marines will try to just sit on objectives that are closer to your deployment zone. Yeah, um, that's just because in in general, I mean, there's obviously a lot of exceptions that prove this rule, but in general, Chaos Space Marine units tend to be slower, tend to have better shooting attacks. So for the most part, they're more suited for gunline sort of tactics. Or, if you know, they'll be mobile, but they're they're slower. They're generally not as good in combat. Um, so, for example, Plague Marines, I love them. They're not the fastest unit in the game. It's the, uh, the Warp Storm table that can cause some shenanigans. Oh, the Warp Storm table. I remember we were playing in a doubles tournament last year, and... It was three games over the course of the day. For the first two games, the warp storm table like didn't really work well for your half of the force we were fielding. But uh-huh. on the, the third game, it was like, oh, now there's some real hits going on every other <laughs> unit. Walk us through the warp storm table. It happens at the beginning of your shooting phase. And this rule only comes into effect if you are using chaos demons as your primary detachment. So if you decide, I want some demons, but I don't like this table, which is how I feel 99% of the time. <laughs> take some chaos space marines as your main and then just load up a giant allied cad with demons and take all the demons you want it's fine and that um, way you're not you're not concerned with the warp storm table right case. gotcha but if you do want to mess around with the warp storm table we've got uh, some treats for you so basically the demons are descending on this planet they're not just any other army where you know they they move their ships in and they invade and no, no their reality is being torn open so there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on so right, there's a hole in the immaterium that lets them come into real space yep, yeah yep the god's eyes are upon your little four by six patch of land and there's a lot of things that can happen so you're rolling 2d6 and then you're going to consult this chart not to talk too much trash on the warp storm table but it is very time consuming and it, it can make a game drag because a lot of the so in addition to being an extra roll that happens every turn a lot of the results require you to then roll for every unit on the table so it's almost like an additional psychic phase uh, in the game. Yeah, yeah yeah so most of the time the seven on the 2d6 which is going to happen most of the time is nothing happens and that's great when that happens you're done. But there's also some other, some crazy stuff that can happen. Though it loathes me just to read from a codex, I think it's important to talk about what exactly the Warp Storm table can do. So you roll Snake Eyes. What happens? The storm abates. You're taking an instability test on every unit in your army across the board. Just your army? Well, if your opponent's army, if he also has units with a demonic instability roll. Gotcha. Okay. But uh, yeah, for the most part, it's just your army. The gods have decided, mm, this is not for us. Uh, let's chill. And... The warp energy is dissipated. You roll a three, and what happens? You are going to take an instability test on 3d6 on a random character, uh, which is real bad because there's a good chance that your your tooled up demon print is just going to disappear off the table. This happened to you and, and me. Uh, I think it was two times in two games. It was. And uh, I was... It was because it was like it was almost three hundred points of model that just was like poof. Yep, yep. And then it happened again the next game, and I just thought, why do I play this? <laughs> the gods were displeased that day. Mm. Uh, so you roll a four, and what happens? On a four, you're minus one invuln save across the board. Okay. So your army is already brittle, and it's just making that much worse. This doesn't even require instability tests. Anything with a demon roll. How about a five? Uh, a five is storm of fire. That is. Uh, Zinch is reaching out and making a shooting attack. So he's going to, on a six, for all these shooting attacks that we're going to mention, the way it's resolved is you're going to go around for every unit on the table and every enemy unit on the table and friendly unit of an opposing demon type, which I'll explain in a second. Basically, you're going to check 
for every unit, and on a six, they're going to get hit. So in this one, um, it's all enemies are being hit, and your friendly demons of Nurgle, because as we mentioned before, Zine to Nurgle despise each other. On a six, you're going to place a blast marker that has the profile of a bolter. So it's pretty weak, um, but it does ignore cover and it does barrage. Hmm. So it can get around terrain. So logistically in the game, you point at an enemy unit, roll 1d6 mm-hmm. on a 6. Beginning my shooting phase, I'm rolling on the warp storm table. In this case, I have rolled a 5, which is storm of fire. Right. So then in order to resolve that, I say, okay, do I have any demons of Nurgle in my army? If yes, I check for them. If no, okay, no. Um, and, and, then, and the check is at 1d6. Yes. If it's a 6, they got problems. Right. So basically, okay. you're nominating a unit. And you're on a die. If it's one through five, you're good. Move on. If it's a six, we resolve it. So when we resolve it, for this particular attack, we will place a small blast template, and it will scatter like normal. And there's no ballistic skill for the firer, so it'll scatter the full distance, Mm -hmm. um, which is why it's always important to roll for these types of attacks, even on units that it can't hit. So it's important to roll these attacks on units that it can't wound, right? Because it may scatter to a unit that it can, right? Oh, that's that's good, yeah. right? Yeah, that's important to keep in mind. So this one is a strength four AP five with barrage and ignores cover. Okay, so the next one on a six, rot glorious rot, my personal favorite. That's going to hit your opponent and demons of Zinch on a six. They're going to take D six, strength four, AP three. Take that, Space Marines. Wow. Poisoned four up ignores cover. That can definitely mess up some space marines. Yeah. Wow. And especially for an army with no shooting attacks, it can come in handy sometimes. Um, although you never know what you're going to get, so you really can't plan for it. On the 7, nothing happens. What so, happens on an 8? Right. Uh, on an 8, the Dark Prince Thirst. We're going to roll a d6 for each unengaged friendly unit with one or more demons of corn. So this is Slanesh, and Slanesh, he hates your opponent, but he also really hates corn, so he's going to take that chance to get the, the shot in there if, uh, if he can. And this is going to be a d6 strength 6 AP dash rending ignores cover hits. And on a 9? Uh, that's Corn's Wrath, so now it's Corn's turn. And Corn is a brute, so he's on a 6. He's just going to throw down... A blast marker with the stats of a battle cannon. So that's strength 8, AP 3. And it is barrage. So if you do get lucky and you land it on that special weapons trooper or that sergeant, that can really help out. For all these blast templates, it's attacking player's choice where to place them, correct? Or is it the owning player's? That is not spelled out Hmm. um, specifically, and I have gotten into some debates with opponents over that. But Hmm. um, I believe, yeah, it should be attacking. 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 Okay, good. Yeah. And on 10. All right, so now we're, we got past the shooting attacks. This is a warp surge. This is just plus one to invuln saves, which is great, because now all of a sudden everything is a four-up invuln save in your army, or better. Gotcha. So you're completely ignoring half of all wounds, which is wonderful. And if we roll an 11 on the warp storm table? Uh, this one's a lot of fun. The opponent must have a psyker. Um, if they don't, nothing happens. But if they do, that psyker is taking a leadership test on 3d6, which uh, is bad. You don't want to add extra dice to a leadership test. Um, and if he fails... Uh, he's going to be removed as a casualty with no saves of any kind allowed. So, invuln saves, wow. armor saves, nope, he's gone. So not only is he gone, but he is replaced by a Herald of Corn, Zinch, Nurgle, or Slanesh. So good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they just lost a guy, you gained a guy, and that guy is in their backyard that they now have to deal with. And this can happen at the start of every shooting phase in the game. So yeah. nice. Yes, yes. <laughs> and the twelve. Uh, on a 12, you're just going to get a unit of uh, either bloodletters, pink horrors, plague bears, or demonettes. It's going to deep strike under the table under your control as if you just summoned it. Um, uh, so always make sure you bring your extra units with you. Uh, demon, being a demon player, 
means carrying around a lot of models. So the great thing about this result is you can choose which type of demons you get. So, yeah, if I'm playing Nurgle, I might choose some Plague Bears just because I happen to like Plague Bears, or that's what I have on hand. But tactically, that's probably not the best choice. I could take a unit of Pink Horrors, because they'll give me extra dice to my Psychic phase. <laughs> or I can take uh, my go-to summoning unit is actually Demonettes, because they got that... They can run, so they deep strike, and they... The other demon types can run as well, but they have a bonus to running, so they can run an extra three inches. So basically it's d6 plus three. <laughs> so they strike under the table, and then all of a sudden they run, so you disperse. They're not as vulnerable to blast and things like that. And they've got rending, so they're a utility unit. Fighting space marines? All right, you've got rending. Fighting tanks? Yeah. Okay, you've got rending. Yeah, yeah. Horrors. Pink, blue, and brimstone. Mm-hmm. The horrors are the, the foot soldiers of Zinch. They're his basic agents of change. So uh, it's a troop choice. Yes, oh. it's a troop choice. Yep, yep. They are the most basic Zinch unit you can get. They are psychic creatures. The heading under them is uh, Coruscating Spellbinders. So they're basically little balls of magic that run around. They all share a psychic ability. And the more you take in a unit, the more psychic dice they'll actually add to your pool. Hmm. And uh, one trick, actually, so you only need a, they come in a unit of 10 and you only need a 11 to bump it up to the next level. So take 11. And how many points? They're 90 points. So starting with the pink horrors, how would they play? How would you use them? I mean, you would just use them to, basically, you would already have a psychic game plan in effect, uh, and you would just use them to generate dice. Um, so yeah, they can, they do get powers. And the other great thing is, because they're Brotherhood of Psychers, they're not only generating those dice for you, but you're rolling for their psychic powers, speaking of the gamer. So you can use them to fish for powers if you want to. Right. They can cast on their own. Um, a lot of times they're great. If, you take a, if you're trying to do a summoning list, they're a great focal point for summoning units. Also, because you don't really care if they take a perils, because they're not a character. So you can be a little more aggressive with that. But for the most part, they're just going to be there to boost your your psychic pool right right what's the stat line on pink horrors yeah they're guardsmen so they're three across the board weapon skill bs three strength three toughness three one wound initiative three one attack seven leadership formations for demons well we finally got them with the curse of the wolfen book we it was an older book so we didn't have formations for a while and then curse of the wolfen came out and we've got formations that's the good news the bad news is, a lot of these formations require you to spam multiple types of units, so you probably didn't own the units to form the formation. Oh. You're going to go out and buy a ton of stuff. And it's kind of cool, but it also uh, can be a problem. The formations are all linked to the god's sacred number. So, for example, Slanesh's sacred number is six. So, you're taking six units, and that's great if you're Slanesh, but if you're a Zinch, you're taking nine units. So that's a lot of models. Wow. Yeah. So, it's a lot of models to buy, a lot of models to paint. Move around, feel. There's some, there's some cool stuff. All the gods have two formations. They've got one for their basic rank-and-file troops, uh, their lesser demons, and then they've got one for their elites or their beasts or whatever their, their special thing is. In the case of Zinch, for example, for their, for their basic troops, we've got this Warp Flame host, which I have to take nine units of the following, either Pink Horrors, Flamers, or Exalted Flamer. So I've got some flexibility there, which is nice. And I could theoretically just field nine Exalted Flamers, which is novel. 
I don't know how that would go, but it'd be fun. <laughs> All these lesser formations are based on boosting the efficacy of the locust that we talked about earlier. So they all require you to also take a herald. And that's basically saying, okay, you take this formation and the herald is buffing people with his loci, but now he's buffing everything even more. Mm. So these, these formations all really depend very heavily on the locusts, on the uh, herald. Um, so this particular one that we're just talking about, normally the loci only affects units that he's joined the Herald has joined, and now it's everyone within 12 of him. So you have this big area of the table just covered in Siege Demons, and guess what? They're all getting that buff, whichever gotcha. buff you've chosen. So I was actually excited about the Nurgle formation because I actually had the models to feel that. Whereas with some of these formations, there would be no reason for somebody to have nine of those particular units, like in the one you just mentioned. Right. It would be out of the ordinary to own that many of that unit. Right. And that was my biggest disappointment with the formations. Not be you know the power level or anything like that. Just I wouldn't have owned these and... They're not going to be useful outside of the formation. So I'm basically just buying the formation, which was a little bit of a disappointment mm. to me. That's it's a lot just, of new models to buy. It's yeah. a lot of new models to buy. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just not practical. So, so taking a more optimistic view of that, you could just say that GW decided to do that to keep up with the power creep that kind of happens, right? If chaos, if, if demons needed more formations, here they are. The more pessimistic view on that is that, you know, we got to sell some models. Right? <laughs> so, so here you got to buy X, Y, and Z of all this in order to get this formation in order to even keep up. Yeah. When formations first came out, they were reasonable. It was, you know, take two guys and a land speeder. Okay, fine. But, <laughs> right. Uh, one of the formations in the Space Marine book is great. Uh, take a land speeder and some whirlwinds. It's practical. It's it's cool thematically. The yeah. land speeder is the spotter for the yeah. whirlwinds. Yeah, that makes a lot of That's, sense. It's yeah. great. It's a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. New players can do it. I don't have to have a the collection of a 20-year veteran to do it. But the new formations, uh, just spam the same unit, and you won't get the full benefit until you spam the maximum times. That yeah. just doesn't work for me. It's true also in the War Convocation. Like While I'm enjoying playing it more and more, the more I play it, the more I'm realizing, from a story standpoint, why are all the upgrades free? You know what I mean? Like, what is that? Because when GW released both of those codexes, codices, right? They just weren't powerful enough out of the gate by themselves. So Mm. here's all the power you need to be able to keep up with the meta, kind of. Right. And it's in a formation. That's the only way that they can kind of control the power of one army versus another. It kind of feels that way with War Convocation for me. Mm-hmm. Like it was just a just a way to buff up the entire army without really. There's really no story there. There's really no reason for that. There's nothing uh, thematic about it. Yeah, and it's a shame too because that's the only way to play the combined might of the Adeptus Mechanicus, which is uh, something that everyone's been wanting to do for years. So for demons, the Rot Swarm, which is the Nurgle beast or elite formation, I had because I had all those beasts from that event. I thought it was a waste of time and money to paint six beasts of Nurgle, but it's not because now I can fill this formation, which is great. <laughs> what does that formation give you? This formation basically rewarded me for playing the way I was already playing. Hmm. You're going to take a Herald of Nurgle, and then you're going to take seven units in any combination, either Plague Drones or Beasts of Nurgle. So what I do, personally, is take a big unit of Plague Drones, put the Herald in there, and then surround it with my six pieces of Nurgle. So I've got the formation. And what this will do is it allows the Herald's loci to affect everyone within 12. So that's cool because he's got feel no pain. So now you have, instead of just him, his unit having feel no pain, you've got all these beasts with feel no pain. And they act as kind of outriders for this formation. Mm. You can split them off and go claim objectives and things like that because they're very fast. But um, then you'll, you want to stay within 12 so you get that, that buff. But this is basically just like a big fist that's moving down the table, and then you've got these beasts 
that are sort of skirmishers. Everything in this in this formation is going to get Hammer of Wrath with the poison rule, so that's great. So everything that it touches that you charge uh, into base to base combat, you're going to have a fifty percent chance of doing a wound before the combat even starts, which is great for demons, especially because those those wounds aren't going to kill a lot of things, but any wound helps because you're trying to mitigate. You're trying to win combats and avoid that instability roll. Right. So right. that's important. Um, but the, this is the, the most insane thing about this formation. And when, I, when you can pull it off, it's glorious. So there's a rule called dubious command. Uh, I like the, the sound of that. <laughs> that yeah, awesome. you can imagine where this is going. So the Herald basically uh, is exhorting his, the unit that he's with to go above and beyond. He's probably telling him some sort of dirty joke because it's Nurgle. Um, <laughs> he has to take a leadership test. If he passes, the unit not only can reroll failed charge rolls, which is critical, for getting you into combat in the first place, but every model in that unit gets plus three attacks until the end of the turn. Ooh. So you're looking at a lot of attacks, and that's what you need. You just need to throw out dice. Mm. Um, and especially if you can buff that unit further with psychic powers, and then those buffed attacks are getting three extra attacks on top of it, yeah, that that, that can turn the, t- the tide of a lot of combats. And that is for the unit that the Herald is with, right? Right. So you want to take one unit that's a good enough size that they're going to benefit from all these extra attacks. Right, right, okay. If I take this formation, and it is, it's a good chunk of points, it's like six or 700 points minimum, mm-hmm. um, something like that, but if you're willing to commit, I would just take big unit of flies, put your uh, Herald in there, and then take beasts. Beasts come in a uh, squad size of one, so... You only have to buy six of them, 50, 52 points a pop. It's not so bad. Is that is that close to what would be considered like a demon star? Is that the death star of this book? I don't know that it's necessarily scary enough to be the death star of this book. The classic demon star is uh, actually screamers buffed by Fate Weaver because then they're essentially invulnerable. They can get a uh, two-up re-rollable invuln save. Ooh. That's that's the classic <laughs> demon star. Um, this is Ner- this is Nurgle's version of that, and he doesn't do it quite as well. But quite as well. Um, it is a lot of fun, and especially that's the other thing to keep in mind. These uh, the plague drones all have that uh, that touch of rust rule that lets them glance vehicles on sixes. So if you're throwing out all those extra dice, you're going to generate a lot of glances. So you have a we already you know as a demon player, you are struggling with vehicles often but that's one solution because then no matter no matter what the armor value is in that case on a six you're always going to glance yeah you're just fishing for sixes and you're most likely going to be hitting the vehicle because it's weapon skill one yeah so just just throwing out dice and hoping for the best which is the actual official tagline of the demon army i played in an apocalypse game a couple weekends ago Mm -hmm. and somebody had brought a couple thousand points of demons and they brought the, the the triad and the tetrad Oh, yes. That's one of the bigger formations, because it has a lot of the named characters in that list. That is, um, it's actually not named characters. It's, uh, you take four demon princes, one for each god. The great thing about that is, if one of those demon princes is your warlord, they all get his warlord trait, oh. which is huge. Wow. Especially considering that one of the Slaanesh traits, so in this Curse of the Wolfen book, we also got, for the first time ever, uh, god-specific warlord traits. And some of them are not so great, but some of them are really good. And one of the Slaanesh warlord traits is you can move, run, and assault. So if you have four demon princes that are moving, running, and assaulting, that's pretty, wow. pretty clutch. Yeah. So, but that's, that's, you can't plan for that. Um, that's just a random roll. So, but that's a nice little bonus. But the main reason to take this Infernal Tetrad, other than the fact that you're spending at least a thousand points on one formation for four models, is that all of the members of this Tetrad will get a bonus based on surviving models. So 
if all four of them are still alive, everyone's getting plus one toughness, which is huge because I've been harping on that toughness five of the Demon Prince the whole time. So toughness six versus toughness five is worlds apart. Not only um, does it make you immune to instant death for anything that doesn't actually have the instant death rule, you're never going to get doubled out on that strength, which is so critical, I cannot say it enough. In addition, it allows you to resist a lot of weapons in the game. After that, one of you guys dies. Oh, so I should also mention that these are cumulative. So I have all of these. So all four of my guys are up, I have all of these. But as they die, it goes down. So for four models, I get plus one toughness. For three miles, I get plus one strength. I'm already strength six. Six for seven. Not a huge deal, but it's still nice, especially if I'm trying to take out vehicles. Right. And then on a two, I re-rolled, failed to hit rolls of one, which is good because there's nothing more disappointing than missing an attack with a demon prince. If there's two left, yeah. you re-roll ones, okay? Yep. Yep. And then with one guy by himself, you get nothing. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's on his own. It was interesting because Brett had run them right into this like parking lot of Imperial Guard <laughs> tanks. And was able to tie him up for the entire game, which was awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah. And is it true that there was, I may have misunderstood, I was on the other side of the table, but it looked like the proximity they, that they were to each other had an effect too, like the shape they kind of made. Oh, so this Infernal Tetra that I just described is uh, in the Curse of the Wolfen book, and that's Demon Princes. Yep. The thing that Brett loves to bring, and he actually brings it to Apocalypse every year, is the Tetragon of Darkness. Which tetragon? That was apart the from being yeah. the tetragon. the greatest combination of words in the English language, <laughs> the um, tetragon of darkness. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I have that T-shirt, or that album <laughs> somewhere in my house. Um, yeah, that is the one. So it basically, um, I don't have the rules for that on hand, but that basically you draw a tetragon linking the four, and those are that's not demon princes, that's greater demons. So that's things like. Bloodthirster, Great Unclean One, etc., etc., And I believe demons within that line, once you draw the outline, they get uh, a bonus to their involuntary saves, or they get some, they're somehow more resilient. That was it. Because yeah. he was moving them in concert, trying to make this kind of shape. Yeah. Because he had, uh, there was a number of other models in between all of them in front of this parking lot of guard tanks. And, it was, and then once they got in between all those tanks, he was trying to move them to form this kind of web yeah. around everything, which looked it looked super cool. Yeah, and the other thing I love about that formation, other than the, the Tetragon of Darkness, is it, <laughs> it forces you to play in this in this weird, obsessive way by these arcane rules that only you understand, and that's so perfect for demons. Brett did something really smart at the APOC game because he wrote down all the stats for each of those greater demons in the Tetragon of Darkness uh-huh. and put them underneath the models, right down to the point where he was checking off wounds oh, in a little box oh. and everything it was really smart it was really smart it made me think i wanted to make some custom cards for some of my guys that i have trouble remembering all the little bits and pieces and the war gear and all that other stuff it'd be nice to know yeah that's a great idea anytime cool. you can save a couple seconds in this game it's, yeah it's critical yeah especially in an apoc game we we're playing 55 minute turns but yeah. he was able to really he was able to move really quickly because he had all this this information right in front of him all the time it was great so we covered a lot of ground talking about demons a lot of tainted ground a lot of tainted soiled polluted <laughs> pestilent ground kind of sum up like what are the top three takeaways about playing a demon army and seeing one across the table your opponent is never going to be able to outsmart you because you don't even know what your army is going to do uh there's a lot of randomness and you need to be able to embrace that uh if you are not going to be happy about just losing a guy because you rolled a three then you should pick a different army but uh it will also reward you because it'll come through for you in ways that you don't expect and it's not just the warp storm table it's across the board it's just the random attacks uh the reward, it's, it's all over the place. It's a, it's a wacky, zany kind of army. The other thing to consider is uh, most of the units in this are assault-based, so you're going to be maneuvering a lot. You have to remember to be aggressive. If you are a kind of player who doesn't like to risk units or lose units, you're going to struggle with this army because um, 
when I do win with this army, I win with nothing left on the board. Um, that's just the way. That's just the way it goes. When, when you've won, you've taken some chances and been rewarded for taking those chances. Right. You've, you've put armies, you've put units way up on the table and, and gotten right in everybody's face. Yes, the gods want to see boldness, and they will not reward you sitting back on the objective. <laughs> that's not to say that there's not some sneaky objective grabbing to do, to be done here, right. but for the most part, you are. It's, it's a very bold, aggressive army. Yeah. You find yourself saying to heck with it a lot through the course of a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Just from a modeling standpoint, um, I think there's a, there's just so many opportunities. You're never going to get bored. Color schemes, endless conversions. You can mix units. I think a lot of people think, oh, I have to pick a god and stick to it. But you don't have to do that. That wraps up our Managing the Meta Demons segment. We'll take a short break and be right back. If you like what you hear, do join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash crew shaken and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you got this episode. Thanks again for listening. Orbital Upload. This episode we're talking about tournaments and one tournament in particular, your first tournament. Jason, I thought this would be a good topic to talk with you about because you've been playing for a long time. You've been, you've worn the hat of a TO, mm. you've worn the hat of a competitor. Mm. You know the deal, you know the drill. You've seen a lot of people go through their first tournament. My first tournament was a turning point for me because I've been playing 40K for many, many years. And I thought I will never do a tournament. It's too competitive. It's not fun. It's not, uh, it's too stressful. It's so, so you had this impression that you were a different type of gamer than yeah. a tournament gamer. Yeah, mm. but um, over the last four or five years, I don't think I've played anything but tournaments. Interesting. And so once that started, it's really not unlike any other game format. So for you, what was it about that first tournament that really was kind of a light bulb moment? Well, there's a great group in our area, and we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of really great, uh, thoughtful tournament organizers. So, and that definitely makes it easier. People will have different experiences on tournaments depending on their their local scene. But um, for me, we've always had a lot of luck in that area, so that made it easy. But for your first tournament, I would just say the most important thing. Just don't take it too seriously. Yeah. You know what? You're going to come in last, and that's okay. Yep. Like, you're just there to get on the board. Yep. My second piece of advice, in a tournament, you're going to be under a little bit of a time constraint. So make sure you're familiar with your army. And if you're not, you don't have to know every last thing, but just know generally how things work. And uh, maybe write out some some notes for yourself. Have some reference page marked at least. Because uh, you definitely don't want to be in the middle of a competitive game and, and not know how your army works. In my case, playing my first tournaments with the war convocation was hard. Because mm. the, the first time I played them, I thought I had to know every little piece of war gear. I found myself not wanting to be, you know, you, you get into a tournament situation, you don't want to be the slow player. Right. You don't want to take away from your opponent's fun or your teammate's fun because you're there flipping through the rules, right? So I had a lot of anxiety going into my first tournament about how fast I'd be able to do it. So I did make a lot of notes and I tried to be as prepared as I could. I still didn't feel like I was quite fast enough. Mm. So what I wound up doing for the second time I found myself in that situation was, I said, okay, not a great move, but I'm just going to ignore all my war gear. I'm not going to stress about the fact which of my princeps has the, the skull of Elder Nicola and which of my uh-huh. alphas has the, uh, the, the this, that, and the other thing, you know? Especially with War Convocation, there are so many little doodads you can get. I just found myself wanting to focus on the core gameplay mm-hmm. and be fast and fluid and enjoy that part of it. And then a couple of games down the road, I started to feather in some of the more nuanced stuff and mm-hmm. some of the more detailed rules and stuff. Yeah, I think that's a great approach. Another thing is, you know, maybe just to start, identify a couple areas of 
your army and remember them. So, for example, for you, remember those prayers. Right. Remember, right. And uh, for me, remember, you have to do the warp storm table. Remember when it's happening. Because in a, in a tournament, you really can't go back and say, oh, uh, wait, 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 wait. It's too late. Can I go back and do that? Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, go back to that first tournament. What about that experience, other than the fact that there was a great community of players, mm-hmm. What was it about that setting that resonated with you? Just realizing that, yeah, I definitely was not the best player. I think I finished uh, either last or second to last. But you know what? I didn't uh, I didn't get up there and whiff all day long. Like, you know, you, you get in there and you realize, like, okay, I can do some stuff. That excitement, that competitive instinct kind of kicked in. Right. And I'm not, even though I'm not a particularly competitive person um, in terms of, oh, I have to win this game. I'm going to argue over these roll points. It's a lot like the orcs uh, walk energy. Everyone else gets psyched up and then it gets you psyched up and it's just a great time. As soon as somebody does that scream, it does kind of... Oh, that's, yeah, that <laughs> is, that's also a classic. It gets uh, the blood going. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing I struggled with, and I, I still kind of struggle with uh, at tournaments, is playing for that long. Mm-hmm. The physical endurance required to be on your feet, <laughs> maybe some listeners can relate to this, but I actually found myself shopping for work boots. Uh-huh. that are designed to just be standing in all day. You're standing yeah. on a concrete floor or like a really thin carpet in a convention center kind of thing. Yeah. And by the end of the day, like the back of my legs are on fire and I feel like garbage. Yeah. I always take electrolyte water with me now. Uh-huh. I take snacks. Like snacks oh, are yeah. super important. Like the first time I played a tournament, like I was about to eat my models at the end of the day because <laughs> I was so hungry. There was a dinner break and whatnot, but you know, you're kind of fussing around. You don't really right. have time to eat. So it is physically demanding to play yeah. an entire day. Yeah. If nothing else, bring a bottle of water. Bare minimum. One more thing I'd like to throw out there is know the schedule. Read the the player pack the day before. I found myself at Nova last year playing in the Trios tournament and not realizing that the narrative campaign started right after that. (laughs) I think it was like 10 o'clock when the Trios stopped, and I was like, oh, this is so great. I can go get a beer and have a burger and be done for the day. But no, I had another 1850 game to play. Yeah. Just really because I didn't take the time to actually look at the schedule closely enough and read both player packs and figure out, oh, okay. This is going to be a long day of playing 40K. Yeah. In which case, I would have definitely brought like another pair of socks, like a different (laughs) pair of sneakers, you know, kind of have like that little refresh moment, like, okay, another game to go. I'm ready. I can do this. I needed that, and I didn't give myself that opportunity. Uh-huh. So be good to yourself and read the player packs before you get there. Yeah, but it is worth it, though. Uh, it, tournament is a great chance to uh, you know, show yourself that you are you know, competitive in the game, regardless of where you come in. Um, you're, you, just as long as you get on the board, that's, that's all that matters. Uh, it's also a great chance to meet new players. A lot of times people will come out, and I've met some really awesome friends that way, and also to see armies that you would not have seen. You're going to play your friends same six or seven armies all the time. And then a tournament's, you know, you're going to go to a tournament and you're going to see a beautifully painted army and you're going to get the chance to play against it. And that's the, that's the great thing. It was really educational for me at uh, a tournament last year to play against my army. Mm. So somebody else was playing War Convocation and he was a much more experienced player. Uh-huh. It was a real eye-opener for me because first turn... I was like, oh, I've been doing that wrong. Oh, man. <laughs> and, and luckily, he was a super nice guy. So we had a whole conversation about what he was doing and why and how he was making his decisions. I was like, oh, it was like the best education. Being in front of another player with the same army, I, I, just, found, I just found that being really, really, really cool. And I think even, even experienced players can learn a trick from seeing someone else play their army. Cool. That was Orbital Upload with regard to playing in your first tournament. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll take a short break and be right back.
In this episode's future history section, we're going to be talking about sonic weapons of the noise marines carried by the Emperor's children and the flawless host. The backstory here is amazing because it goes all the way back to the Horus Heresy, right? When right after the, the cleansing of Laren, there was this, this corruption that came into the heart of the fleet. And back then they had these remembrancers with them. And a remembrancer was that, that creative person who was trying to, to give humanity, to give the Imperium a look at the Emperor's successes through music, through pictures, through photographs, through art, through poetry, through writing, through uh, speeches, through great oration. In this case, with regards to the Noise Marines, they sort of got their start based around a performance. This performance, this performance that birthed the Noise Marines, this performance that welcomed in Slanesh into the Emperor's children, this symphony was written by a remembrancer, Bekwakinska. The symphony was called the Maraviglia. At the debut performance, it was only performed once, by the way, because of what happened here at the debut performance, the Emperor's children were there. Many of the elites were there, including the Primarch Fulgrim. The performance was basically, as you can imagine where this is going, this cacophony of ecstatic noise, this whirling assault of sound, of kind of sonic motion. The music was powerful enough on some level that it really entwined the audience and the Emperor's children with these Slaneshi powers. I can remember in the novel, the main performer, I don't think it was her, but there was a, maybe a vocalist center stage, and a demon had erupted out of the center of this person, as if it was a skin that had become too tight, and the demon just kind of popped out of this other person. During this performance, these instruments, the sounds, became painful became aggressive, became disorienting. And it was these sounds, it was these mutated symphonic sounds that gave rise to the tools that were later used on Istvan V by the Emperor's children. It was their ability to harness the power of this music, of this ecstatic, extreme expression inspired by Slanesh. They could take those weapons to the battlefield and wreak havoc. I like the Noise Marines and the Emperor's Children a lot because of that Slanesh influence. You can picture them in these insane colors. They had painted their power armor in these insane colors. Bright purples and yellows and oranges and pinks and just extreme patterns and, and details drawn onto, the, onto the, uh, the armor. Even other legions at the time were just, they, they looked at them like they were a bit insane. But with the touch of Slanesh, they were seeking that extreme experience. There was no sensation that could be powerful enough. They were always wanting the next level of heightened awareness, of heightened pain, of heightened pleasure, of heightened sensation. That was the whole thing, right? That's what Slanesh is all about. So with regards to the Noise Marines' weapons, the most basic of them was a sonic blaster. Looks like a, like a two-handed gun, a projectile weapon, that shoots a blast of devastating sound that can rip its target apart. Next is the Doom Siren. This is an amplifier that intensifies the cries of the wearer into a flamer-like sonic attack. So think of that as like that megaphone. It's like the megaphone of doom, where you can yell into it, and the yell would be so amplified that it forms this template weapon, basically. They also had the Blast Master, I like this one, the subwoofer of doom. 
It can burst eyeballs and rupture organs. The Blastmaster makes me think of carrying around a boombox, one that's loud enough and bassy enough to just vibrate its targets into nothing, to liquefy with these low-frequency resonances that just wreck havoc across the battlefield. I think it's a great one. And the most powerful, and I think the most dangerous, the cacophony. This is a Xenos technology intertwined with what the Emperor's children were gleaning from their newfound knowledge of Slaanesh. It basically takes the howls of the warp, those incessant screams from the beings of the immaterium, somehow pulls them into real space and focuses them at a target. My note here says it's a warp noise blaster. So you know how in the books and in the fluff we read that they explain the immaterium as being something you can hear. You can hear the howls of chaos beings from outside the Geller fields that protect the ships while they're traveling in the immaterium. So this cacophony focuses and amplifies those screams of the warp, as I understand it, into a weapon. I think these noise marines are visually interesting, too. I know a couple of versions back, GW had modeled them with, like, a guitar. I'm picturing the photograph on the cover of Kiss's Destroyer record, where they're coming over the top of, like, this Martian ridge, and they're there with their makeup and the wild hair and their leather bodysuits and everything. I think noise marines probably look a lot like Kiss, except with these extreme weapons that we just mentioned. Extreme is everything to the Emperor's children, and to the other followers of Slanesh. On the table, these noise marines should be an amalgam of insane color and pattern and design, right? And their weapons look similarly insane. The Doom Siren emanates from this mutated power pack on the back of a Chaos Space Marine's armor. The Doom Blaster almost looks like a demented pipe organ. I'm picturing like the pipe organ from Goonies strapped to a Chaos Space Marine's back with these bony, abstract pipes and everything, and he's got this this microphone-like grill embedded in the front of his face to amplify his screams. I think from a modification standpoint, you can do a lot of crazy things with their instruments there. You can really play with what you think a Doom Blaster looks like. You can make the cacophony look like whatever you want it to. The Blastmaster really could be a boombox held by a Chaos Space Marine. That Doom Siren... Again, could be this really crazy pipe organ thing mounted to their back. Which is a lot of great modeling options when you talk about the noise marines. I'm a big fan of models that get a lot of attention on the table, and I think noise marines create a nice option to do just that. I wish I saw them more on the table, that's for sure. With their new patron, and over the years of bloody warfare, have honed their bodies into sensory extremes, where nothing can stir their emotions other than the din of battle and the screams of the dying. The louder the noise or sensation, the greater mental reaction a noise marine achieves on the battlefield. He essentially ceases being a human being, but rather becomes a receptacle for the sounds of agony and death. So that noise marine, both as amplifier and as microphone, both taking in those screams of the battlefield and amplifying them into doom. That was Future History. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be right back. And that was Episode 2 of Crew Shaken. We hope you enjoyed it. We talked about the demons. We got some good demon mojo going around. 
We got some some good plague-bearing, nurgling talk going on. <laughs> we talked about first tournaments in Orbital Upload. Hopefully you got something useful out of that. It was nice to have Jason here talking about both sides of that fence, both as a TO and as a player. For Crew Shaken, I've been Tim. And I've been Jason. Thanks for listening.